wouldn't it be great if we all had a, a love button? Wouldn't that just be incredible if you could just simply at any moment do what you had to do, press the button, and kind of just all your problems went away? I think that would be pretty amazing. Um, love is amazing. It changes everything, but it's not the easiest thing to live out, right? It's one thing to kind of know a lot about love. It's another thing to be loving. Uh, my son Landon knows a little bit about this. He's six years old, and he recently recited, recited to me one of the greatest love verses there is, John three sixteen. right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But he kind of messed it up at the end. He said he gave his only forgotten son. And so I said, son, that's horrible. No, of course, I didn't bring it up. I didn't say anything to him. But I was hoping he didn't just know the verse. I was kind of hoping, great, you know, he's kind of getting this root foundation that God loves him and that he's this amazing savior. And I'm hoping he'll kind of emulate Jesus now with this amazing love. It doesn't always work out that way, right? Because shortly after, we were driving to the store, and he was getting a little impatient. He wanted to get there. He was ready to pick out a toy. He was all excited. And uh, so as we're on the way, he says, Dad, how much longer? I said, buddy, like, like, like two minutes. We'll be there in like two minutes. And so like every little kid, he actually starts counting, right? And so he counts to 120. He says, Dad, are we there? I said, buddy, not yet. You're going to have to count a little bit longer. And straight face, he just looks at me. He goes, you've disappointed me in every way. I was like, dang, this is the same guy who was spouting out that verse a minute ago, right? And so it's one thing to know a verse about love. It's one thing to have knowledge about love. But it's another thing to live it, right? And you know what? I think that can kind of be true of all of us. Uh, Recently, as I was kind of going through 1 Corinthians, just reading through it, I got up to the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and I kind of got stuck there for a while. As I was going through 1 Corinthians 13, you know, verses I know, I haven't memorized, I've preached messages off of them, I've heard a billion messages about them, you hear them at weddings all the time, there's songs about these verses, and yet, as familiar as I was with them, I didn't want to just know them in my head, I want to live them out, and I got stuck on them. Like, day after day, I just kept going back to these same few verses, because I wanted to say, all right, I want to live this. I don't want to just have head knowledge. I want to actually live this out. And so as I was just praying about what to do next for a series, I just really felt like maybe this is a problem for more than just me. Maybe this is something we all need to hear about, that we know a lot about love, but we don't always live in a loving way, do we? And so we're going to spend three weeks talking about love. And this isn't, like I've been saying, the ushy-gushy love or the husband-wife love or the romance love. And there are time for series on all those, and we'll do them at some point or another. But this is a series about the hardest thing in the whole world. And you know what that is? It's loving every single person we come into contact with in the same way that Jesus loves us. That's what this series is about. And that's very difficult, right? That's really hard. And the interesting thing about it is when we look at our lives, we often make other things besides love most important. When we begin to look at our own spiritual maturity, we tend to gauge or measure our spiritual maturity over some other things. We think we've arrived, so to speak, sometimes with things that have nothing to do with love. Like, for example, one of the things I think we tend to look at and say, oh man, I must be really close to God now, is just knowledge of God or knowledge of the Bible. A lot of times when people get knowledge of the Bible or knowledge of God, they think, hey man, my my spiritual maturity is just off the charts. I mean, I've got this, right? But the truth is, is knowledge isn't the most important thing. You see, the problem with a series like this is we all know we should be more loving, right? You're like, Doug, just close in prayer. I'll work on being loving. Thanks. You know, I'll get out a little early. No, see, we all know we should be loving, but knowing doesn't equal doing. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, said that if we know what we should do, which is probably 98% of the people in this room know the verses on love, 
but we don't do it, then we sin. And so, man, my heart for this series is not just that we know stuff, but that we follow through with doing it. In fact, my litmus every week as I'm trying to figure out what to talk about is never if we know this information. My, my litmus is, are we living what we know? And my job every week is to inspire you and I to, yeah, we want to learn. My, I aim at you know, trying to bring stuff out for you and I as we get together that you haven't heard before and stuff that's going to you know, increase your knowledge about God. But more than that, we have to live what we know, especially when it comes to love. Do you know that we are good old United States, we are the second most out-of-shape nation in the entire developing world. You know, I think we misunderstood that part about developing. It's not supposed to be you personally continually developing, you know, love handles in the gut. No, so we are the second most developing nation in the world that is out of shape. And you know what's funny is we have more information and knowledge about health than any time in history, don't we? Right? I mean, we all, we have apps, and we, you can't go out to eat now. I hate this. You can't go out to eat now without seeing how many calories you're ingesting, right? I mean, we have workout videos always advertised. A lot of us are wearing these bands that track our steps. Can we just talk about that for a second? Do you know that up until a few years ago, there were certain people that walked with things on their, on their body that tracked their steps? They're called criminals, right? And now we're all wearing them, right? How many steps do I have to take before dinner or, you know, bed? 8,421. Cool, you know? And so we have all this information and technology. We know so much about being in shape, and yet maybe we're not doing it. And I just wonder if it's the same with us as Christians. We have so much knowledge about God. We know we should be loving, but just like we have all our apps and our websites and our Bible commentaries and all our stuff, if we aren't actually living it, then the Bible actually says we're nothing. And so let's take our knowledge. Knowledge is great, but let's take that and see it as a means to an end, not just the end. So no, man, we're not spiritually mature if we know about love. I think another thing we tend to measure ourselves with is if we're good at keeping the rules. And if we're good at keeping some rules, then we kind of think we're spiritually mature. You know what's funny about that, though, is and you can relate to this, isn't it true that people that are good at keeping some rules normally miss the most important thing, which is love, right? Don't people who keep the rules really well normally look down on those that don't? Isn't it true that in all of our lives, we can struggle with this when, when we're measuring our spiritual maturity by, okay, yeah, I checked that off my list, I got that down, I'm over that habit. I mean, it's great. We should see growth and change in our lives, but that's not the mark of spiritual maturity, because so often then, when we kind of pass that mark, that latest hurdle, we kind of jump that thing, we look and maybe somebody else walks by and they're still struggling with what we used to struggle with. And nine out of ten times, we're not very loving to them. And what we're going to see today is love is worth more than keeping the rules. Another thing I think we kind of struggle with struggling uh, or measuring our maturity is, is our giftedness. Our giftedness. And we're going to see this more in weeks two and three. That a lot of times we put our giftedness above love. And if we can preach well or lead well or pray for the sick and see them healed or we really have a lot of discernment, we think, man, I'm so close to God. I'm so spiritually mature. And man, we're going to see, especially in weeks two and three, that there's something so much more important than giftedness. And so no, don't measure yourself by your giftedness or if you're able to keep some rules or your biblical knowledge. No, we're going to see today that love is more important than all of these things. 
And so here's what I want to do in this series. I want to really challenge you and I to live out what we know about love. I want to really clearly define for you what love is and what isn't. And I think you will learn some new stuff as we go through it. And lastly, I'm going to give you homework every week. You're going to walk out of here. And man, my challenge to you is to live this, is to do what we talk about here in this place. And this is so important for a couple of reasons. Number one, you and I look like our Savior most when we're loving. Like if you and I want to look like Jesus, then we have to love. We have to love till it hurts. And we have to love in ways that makes no sense. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. And number two, and you know what? I don't think we think about this enough. But isn't this true? That those who love well live richly. Isn't that just true in life? I mean, Christian or not, isn't that just true? Love costs, love hurts, love's hearts not always easy. But when you and I, when we love well, we live richly. And so I would say, no matter who you are here in the room today, <clears throat> this is something you want. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're probably sitting there going, you know what? I don't know if I believe in this God stuff, but I could tell you, I know I need to be more loving. Well, I think you're going to be inspired to that today. But I think hopefully you'll see something even more powerful than just an inspiration and I actually have to just take a second and talk to you if you're not a follower of Jesus and just say, if us as Christians, if we as Christians have ever pushed you away because of a lack of love, then we're sorry. You know, like I would guess in room their size, there are people here who haven't been to church in a while because you once knew a Christian. You haven't been thinking about God so much lately because this happened at church or, or you saw some crazy preacher guy on TV and then he went and did this or that. And you know what? We'll just take a second and be real enough to say we're sorry and we don't always get this right. And if we've marred your image of a loving God, then we have to, we have to own that and say we, we apologize and we're working on that. We want to genuinely be loving people. And that's why we're doing this series here today. And so we're going to look at something that Jesus said before we get to our, our verse in 1 Corinthians today. Because I want you to see how important love was to Jesus. Okay, so here's what was going on. Jesus is having a conversation with some people who measured their spiritual maturity by how much they knew and how good they were at keeping the rules. He's talking with some, some people that were religious and were teachers of the law, experts in the law, and they were all about keeping the rules and knowing stuff. Okay, and look what Jesus says as they have this conversation. Matthew 22 says this, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. And so Jesus had been kind of on trial, so to speak, by these different religious groups and these groups that were experts in the law, and they would try to trap Jesus. And so this one guy came to him, and this was the guy that knew everything, and, and you know, they all were waiting for him to finally confound and astound Jesus. But, but look what happens in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And everybody in the room is listening. Everybody in the room is, is leaning in. Everybody's like, what is Jesus going to say? I mean, they, either they totally fooled him or he's going to show everybody that he's the real thing. Watch this. Verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus does this. He says, okay, you know what? You guys are really smart. You have a lot of biblical knowledge. You're good at keeping some rules, normally at the expense of the most important one. But let me just tell you this. 
the greatest commandment there is, is that you love me. And let me just say this, and this isn't really you know, where I'm headed in this series, but I just want to say this. When you love God well, it sets you up to love everyone else well. Right? When you love God well, it sets you up to love everybody else well. When that is in the right place, watch what God can do in your life. And so that's first and foremost. But then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at that. Oh, it disappeared. That's okay. He says, everything hinges on that. Wait, wait, wait. So wait, wait you, Jesus, you mean all that stuff like Moses was talking about and all the stuff Isaiah prophesied and, and Jeremiah and Daniel and all those guys and you're talking about all that? It all hinges on loving you and loving others? Yeah, that's the most important thing. That's what it all boils down to. The most brilliant theologian in the world that could like talk me in circles and there's smoke coming out of my ears. If he's not loving, then he missed it all. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? Living a life of love is the most important thing. And actually, that's what I want you to walk out of here with. You guys know I usually kind of hold that main idea off till the end of the message. But I want you to sit on that for these three weeks. Living a life of love is the most important thing. And so now we kind of have that as our basis. I want to really dive in to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. I want you to really see and, and really search your own heart and let God lead you to a new place today in your life when it comes to loving others. And so here's what's going on with Paul. And this is interesting. I think this is something you might learn today, maybe something you didn't know, right? So Paul went to this place called Corinth. And when he was there, some people became followers of Jesus. He's telling everybody about Jesus, this, this God that changed his life. And so people start to put their trust in Jesus. And then Paul spends about 18 months there really kind of getting the church off the ground in Corinth. And then he leaves. He takes off and he goes to tell some other people about Jesus. And this is the part you, might, you may not know. When he left, somebody tracked him down with a letter. And they handed Paul this letter. And this letter was from the Christians in Corinth. They had some questions for him. They had some things they needed to get some advice on. But listen to this. You ready? The guy who handed Paul the letter told Paul some things. You know what he said, Paul, said to Paul? He said, you know what? The church at Corinth has some big issues. In fact, Paul, when you left, the place kind of went a little crazy. In fact, everyone stopped being loving. People started turning on each other. In fact, Paul, they're even trying to turn us against you. You know what? Christians are dragging each other into court. They can't settle anything themselves. Things are a mess. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, not because he knew we'd be reading it 2,000 years later, because he was addressing the problems that had come both in that letter and by that messenger. And so he sends back 1 Corinthians eventually, and in it he addresses this issue with love. And so here's what we're going to do. There's basically 15 phrases that Paul writes about love. He defines love. Love is this and love isn't this, okay? There are eight is's and eight isn'ts, okay? Paul says, okay, love is this and love isn't that. And he, and he kind of breaks it up. And so these 15 phrases that we have, we're going to look at five of them every week for the next three weeks. And we're going to look at them in depth and we're going to try and say, okay, I don't want to just know what this word means. I want to be challenged to live it. But here's what I want you to do as we look at these verses. I don't want you to try to be good at all five of them this week, okay? I want you to find your top one, and I want you to focus 100% of your efforts this week 
on that one thing, that one area that we're going to talk about today, one out of these five that you know you need God to bring a major difference in your life in, okay? And so as I'm talking, you're probably going to hear me say one word. You're going to go, oh man, I really got to work on that. And then I'll say the next one. You're like, oh wait, that too. Like, how do I work this out? And you know what? There's going to probably be one though out of these five And it's going to feel like someone turned one of these intelligent lights right on you, right? Sitting in your seat, like, you know, like that is so me. That is so my struggle. And I'll tell you which one out of these five we're going to talk about today is my main struggle, all right? And so we're going to look at these verses. I want you to walk out of here today saying, okay, I know what I need to do and I know how to do it, all right? And so hunt for your struggle. Hunt for that top thing you need God to give you strength And so 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Paul begins to define love. And we're going to look at two is's and three isn'ts, okay? And so he says this, first, love is patient. Let's tell you right up front. It's mine. Spotlight hit me, right? Love is patient. Now, that's great. We could just kind of go on, but no, no, no. Let's take a few minutes and let's really talk about what this means. Patience takes time. A deep breath, right? Patience takes a deep breath. So they screamed at you. <sighs> Not just going to respond. Kid spilled his milk all over the floor. <sighs> Not going to respond. Patience takes a deep breath before it responds. Patience holds its tongue. Somebody says something, I fire back. No, no, no. Patience holds its tongue. Hey, no nudging each other out there. Husbands and wives are like, oh, but you know. (laughs) Patience listens. Patience listens. And then I hate this next part. I so hated that I had to put this in here. You ready this? Patience doesn't just listen, it hears. It hears, right? Doesn't that sound like something your mom or your wife would say? Not not that my wife's ever said that, but I've heard things. I've heard things about y'all out there, okay? No, patience doesn't just listen. It doesn't just, okay, and the information hit my ears. No, it hears it. Okay, I'm tracking with you and I will respond. I have to do this with my kids all the time. I, literally before the service, um, Kade does the lights for the first worship set and my nephew Ian does the lights for the second half of the service. And so I had to get a message to Ian. And I said, Cade, this is what I need you to tell Ian. It's really important. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And he's like, you know, doing something else. And I said, look in my face and repeat back to me what I just said. And patience does that. Patience doesn't just listen. It hears, it hears the heart behind what's being said. Patience waits. It waits. For you to be loving for some of the people in your life and in my life, we need to just simply begin to wait. Ready for this one? This is probably my hardest one. Patience rolls with the punches when things don't go as planned right? I like to be Mr. Visionary and everything organized and ready to go and everything's good. And man, you know, it can get so difficult and so frustrating and so hard when things kind of fall apart and the plan didn't work, but patience rolls with it. Patience doesn't have to control every second. Patience doesn't have to control every minute. And so how are you doing with this? How are you doing this? Now listen, Paul wrote this because there was a problem with people in the church, So how are you doing? Are you patient with the other people inside this room? Or is that what you need the Holy Spirit to work on your heart with? Are you patient with your spouse? Are you patient with your kids? Are you patient with your parents? Are you patient with your schoolmates, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your teammates? 
This is mine. This is what the Holy Spirit's been working on. In fact, I told you earlier, I couldn't really get past these verses. I didn't even get past the first part of the first verse. I've been stuck on love is patient for weeks. Just going, God, I want to live this. I want to be this. Help me be patient. And so is that your struggle? Then he goes on. He says, love is kind. What is kindness? So let's talk about that. Kindness is gracious. You know, I mean, kindness isn't going to scream. Kindness isn't going to just react. No, kindness has a grace about it. Kindness is other-centered. It's so easy to be just focused on me. It's so easy to just say, okay, well, I want what I want and I need what I need. But no, kindness is other-centered. What do you need? Here inside these walls, looking at the people around you. Okay, I know what I got to get out of today. I know what I need. I know my heart's really hurting. I know God's got to do something in me. But, but wait a minute. If I'm going to be loving, then kindness is other-centered. Kindness is giving. Kindness is giving. When you guys are at home, when you guys are, are just living your lives, would you say, yeah, I, I'm living in a way that's giving. People would characterize me in that way, that I'm giving to those in need. And kindness, kindness is selfless. And so is this yours? Is the Holy Spirit kind of spotlighting you? Do you take those nasty digs with your words, with your attitude? Is it just the, the way you treat somebody? Let me ask you this question. Ready? Everybody look at me, okay? Here in this building, when you walk in, are there certain people you purposefully avoid? And the Holy Spirit needs to spotlight our hearts. When you go home today, does your spouse or your child or your parent know all they're going to get from you are digs and looks of death? <laughs> then kindness may be your thing. Guys, those who love well live richly. I'm not trying to punish you here today. I'm trying to say, let's live rich lives. Let's look like our Savior Let's go on to the next one. So we did the two is's. Let's do the three isn'ts now. Okay, love is not or does not envy. And this word is, is worth looking at in the Greek, which Paul would have originally written this letter in Greek. This is what it means in Greek. To have intense negative feelings over another's achievements or success. Ouch, right? Doesn't that hurt a little bit? That's what envy is. That's what it means. And so Paul's saying, hey, don't envy. Don't get upset at another's achievements or success, right? Doesn't this hit you every single day of your life, right? Don't we all have to work every day at not envying? I mean, listen to this. In my life, every single person that has hair is a potential envy issue for me, right? I mean, that's a darn lot of you, right? There's a few of you in my boat here today, brothers, right? But a lot of us here in the room, man, right? And so every single time, there's someone that achieves or succeeds in a way we wish we had. And we got to put that thing to death and we got to knock that down and not give in to envy. You know what? Envy kind of glares at the guy that got the MVP, don't we? Envy is angry at the person who got the better sense of humor, the better body, the better husband, the better wife, the better kids. They get angry at the guy who gets the pat on the back in front of the whole company. Envy looks at the person who's driving that car and who came walking out of that house with the stain. That's what envy does. But let's talk about what love does. Love celebrates the person who got the promotion. It's hard. But that's what love does. Love, this is, ugh, I hate this one. Love praises people publicly instead of gossiping about them privately. That's what love does. 
Those, that, I know, it's that guy, it's that girl. Oh, man, I wish I had what he had. I wish I could do what she does. I wish, oh, I wish I was in their situation. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how much I wish I had that, me and you, here in our little private corner. No, love praises publicly. Hey, I really like your house. It's beautiful. Man, that is my dream car. I, I'm so glad you get to enjoy it. <laughs> man, your kids... Kids, they're, they're, you're really blessed to have the kids you have. That's what love does. How are you doing with this? Do you walk in here? Do you walk into your home or your neighborhood or your, your workplace? And you know what, guys? This is the thing we got to get about this. Because I, I, I get the struggle here. We all look at the person and we go, but they don't deserve to have that, right? Like, but, but if I praise them publicly, it's just going to make their ego grow. Like, I know them too well. Guess what? Not your problem. Your problem, my problem, is our hearts. And so we praise publicly instead of gossip privately. We, we pat the guy on the back who gets the pat on the back. We give the MVP a high five, right? And so how are you doing with this? Another one, it does not boast. In the Greek, when Paul was writing this, this is what he meant. To boast is to heap praise on yourself. That's what it means. That, doesn't that sound like way worse than just boasting? I'm just heaping praise on myself, right? It just sounds terrible. Social media has made it so easy to do this, hasn't it? Right? Oh, I just got a raise and, you know, they promoted me and I got a car as a bonus and I happen to be tweeting this from the world's highest mountain peak, which I climbed with no gear, hashtag I'm awesome, right? I mean, it just makes it so easy, doesn't it? And so we got to be really careful, but, but, you know, whether it's on social media or it's just in person, I mean, boasting makes sure everyone knows all of its accomplishments, right? Because the Holy Spirit, is this where the spotlight hits you? Is this where you kind of feel like, whoa, okay, that light's being shined on me right now? Boasting is happy to talk and talk and talk, but when someone else starts talking about their accomplishments or what's happened in their lives, you look at your watch, oh, I got to go, right? That's what boasting does. Boasting finds its value in how many people know how great they are are, right? Because why do we boast? We boast because we want people to value us. We boast because we want people to know how great we are and what accomplishments we've made. But you know what? Love leaves the highlight reels to ESPN. Love listens more than it talks. Love asks questions about others, right? I catch myself sometimes with that. Somebody, hey, Doug, how's it going? Good, thanks. Maybe I should ask how they're doing. Love Ask questions about others. Love finds its value in what God says and not in people's opinions. That's what love does. Because when you and I understand that God loves us when we've completely messed up or when we've completely nailed it, both extremes and everything in between, we don't have to boast. We don't have to try to get people to like us better and, and help us, you know, help them understand how, how blessed they are to know us and how great we are. No, when I just simply get, like, I'm loved no matter what, then I'm freed up from trying to always have to convince everyone how great I am. And so how are you doing with this one? Here in this place, let's talk social media. How are you doing on Twitter and, you know, Instagram? And let me get this picture in just the right light so it makes my house look that much bigger, right? Or my, my car, look, I just waxed it. All right, today's the day to take the picture then, you know? I mean, so how are we doing on Facebook and all those things? Are we constantly trying to get people to think that we're great? How are you doing this with your relationships? How are you doing this with, like, you walk into work tomorrow? I mean, is, are you just gonna, I mean, it's nothing wrong with sharing things you're excited about, but is everyone gonna find out how great you did at this or that? 
this past weekend. And so love does not boast. And lastly, for today, number five of our five for today, it is not proud. And this one definitely goes kind of along with boasting, but it's just more an attitude of the heart. Boasting is an action. Pride is our attitude behind the boasting, right? And the definition for pride is someone who has an exaggerated self-conception. We're all like, well, I don't have one, right? And I really am that great. It can't be me that we're talking about here, right? No, but that's what pride has. Pride has this self-conception that's just way over the top. And pride always has to be right. Pride's opinion always has to be heard. I've been reading a book talking about just how we use our words and honoring God with our words. And, and the author said, try this. She said, try this. Just do an experiment. Just try sharing your opinion a third of the time you normally would. Just see what happens. I think that's really powerful. I think that's interesting that we start to maybe hold our tongue a little bit more. We don't have to always get the last word or always the first word or always every word. But, but no, we can let others speak and we can let others talk and, and float ideas and, and just to sit back a little and say, okay, love isn't proud. I don't always have to be heard. Pride knows how much better it is than everyone else, right? Pride goes first and it gets the most. And listen to this, this is powerful. Pride deserves everything good that ever happened to it, but none of the bad, right? I mean, of course I got the promotion, but I didn't deserve that. How could this have happened? I was recently watching a show with this really arrogant character in the show. I mean, he just gets everything they want, and like, I mean, life's just perfect. And then, you know, he did something, and there were some consequences. He says, this just isn't fair. This isn't fair. One little mistake, right? Just, I get all that I, you know, all the good, but none of the bad belongs to me. Let me just, you know, tip you off. A couple, a couple things that can easily lead to pride. Uh, leadership positions make it easy to become proud. So that's when we got to keep our eyes on here, um, at home, uh, when you're the coach, when you're the boss, when you're the manager. Leadership positions make it really easy to be prideful. Having money or stuff or opportunity that others don't have make it really easy to become prideful. And the last one I'll bring up today is the Bible warns us that knowledge, like we talked about earlier, makes it really easy to become prideful. But what does love do? Love doesn't always have to be right. Right? It's okay. Somebody else got it right. And you know what? When love's not right, what does it do? It owns it. Parents, let's talk for a second. Man, can you imagine the impact it would have on your kids' lives? Next time you didn't get it right, you actually owned it in front of them. You're right, bud. I'm sure I was right. You were right. What power this would have in our marriages, what power this would have in the workplace. Let me just tell you, I mean, if you're a manager or a leader or a boss, to own that to your staff once in a while, I think would be really powerful. I think you'd earn some respect in that way that you are not just this person who thinks they're false, be able to say, you know what? You were right on this one. I got this one wrong. Thanks for your input. I tell you, you're gonna win some loyalty in that office space. Just some, I think, practical wisdom there. So love doesn't always have to be right. Love's opinions only shared when it's beneficial to others. Wow. It's a powerful one. Only shared when it's beneficial. You know, but I really think, oh wait, is this gonna benefit them? then I'll hold my tongue. Love is okay going last and getting less. It's okay to not always have to go first and always have to get the most. Love treats others as better than itself. Love knows 
that everything good in its life is there because of grace. Well, I deserve all the good, but not the bad. Well, how about you deserve all the bad, but the good is there only because a Savior got on the cross in your place. That's what love looks like. So how are you doing with this? When it comes to your relationships here within the church, because remember, that's what Paul was mainly talking about was how the Christians were treating each other. Would you say that pride is yours? Is that where the kind of that spotlight of gets shine on your soul? How are you doing this with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your boss or your employees? I think, man, if we could just say, I'm going to go into work tomorrow and this is my new mindset. I'm going to go home today. We're going to have lunch after church and pride Doug is gone. Loving Doug is here. <laughs> And yeah, it'll be a battle, it'll be hard, and there'll be ups and downs, and there'll be good days and bad days, but overall, that we'd begin to at least identify, and this is a problem, this is something you guys hear me say a lot, but somebody once said that when you aim at nothing, you hit it every single time, and if you and I walk out of here today, and we're saying, all right, I'm not really going to aim at changing, cool, I liked how the drop, you know, the box fell out of the ceiling, funny video, but I'm not going to change my heart. No, but what if we were to say, all right, I'm going to aim at something, and I will fail this week, I will. You know, I've been stuck on love as patience for like a month and I still lose it with my kids sometimes and say things I wish I didn't say and I, you know, but I'm aiming at something. And that means I'm growing. That means I'm changing. I'm not responding like I always used to. Some of you guys may be saying, Doug, I gotta tell you, I've been trying to change for a long time. I mean, patience isn't like a new problem for me or pride or an ego or, or any of these things. These aren't new problems for me, Doug. I've heard this before. I've tried this before and I just feel like I keep falling short. Well, can we just talk about something for 30 seconds? And that's the fact that you and I have love itself living inside of us. Like, no, you can't do it. Doug will make a total mess of it all. But thank God, love lives in me. Because God is love. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then God lives in you. And so you, by the Holy Spirit, can become more patient or kind. You can begin to work through envy and boasting and pride and see more and more change and you'll look like your savior and you'll live a rich life. And so what's your one thing? If I ask you to walk out of here and focus on all five of them, the percentage of us that will do anything plummets. There's like a couple overachievers in the room that'll nail all five this week, all right? What's your one? Start there. I'm not saying ignore all the rest for the rest of your life, but, but for this week, I, you, know, you know, I'll be working on patience. I could probably work, use work on all the other four too, but I'll be working on patience. What's the one this week you will be working on? Some of you guys might have some, some good questions in your mind. Um, some of you guys are saying, but so-and-so doesn't deserve for me to treat them in a loving way. I'm arrogant in that situation, Doug, because of how they treat me. I'm just responding to their, that, the whole scenario they set. You know, like they set this up, Doug. You know what? You and I didn't, didn't deserve God's love when he poured it on us. We were, pri- we were proud. We were, the Bible says we hated God, wanted nothing to do with God, and yet he pursued us and he chased us down and he put himself on the cross in our place. And so this is a love that we don't deserve and now we're to give it to people that also don't deserve it. And some of you might be saying this, and this just hit me a while back as I was snowblowing somebody's driveway who never thanks me for it, and it drives me crazy. God just put something on my heart, and, and it was this. Sometimes you have to win people over with a love that makes no sense. You know? Like some of us are thinking, I don't know how so-and-so will respond. I feel like if I reach out to them in love, 
they're going to push me away. They're going to deny me. They're going to, all right, but sometimes we have to win people over with a love that makes no sense, which is exactly what Jesus has done for us. I don't want you, God. Okay, I'll get on a cross then. No, but I still don't want you, God. Okay, well, I'm going to pursue you and show you my goodness until you do. Sometimes we have to win people over with a love that makes no sense. And some of you are going to go home to a spouse. You're going to have to try to win over with a love that makes no sense. Or a parent, or a child, or a boss. And it might take the rest of your life. It might. It might not ever work for somebody in your life. But still, Jesus came and put himself on a cross for many people that would never believe in him. But I'll tell you this, there will be many it will work with. There will be marriages changed and kids changed and work environments changed and relationships transformed as you and I just simply love and will look like our Savior. And you know what? Just catch this. Even if the relationship you're thinking of right now doesn't get saved, guess what? Everyone around you will see the unbelievable love of God in your life reaching out to someone who doesn't deserve it. And others may be impacted and affected. Let's say you go home and you love your spouse and it never turns around for you. But maybe your neighbor gets saved because they see how you treat them. God will use it. I don't know how. I'd say 90% of the time I think there's going to be healing in relationships. But the other 10%, you just never know what God will do with. But man, when you and I do it, no matter what the response is, we're going to look like our Savior. And overall, as we zoom out on our lives, maybe not in every single relationship, but we'll see that when we love well, we live richly. And so what is yours? Patience, kindness, not envying, not boasting, or not being proud. Because Jesus helped us see that living a life of love is the most important thing. Let's pray. God, we praise you today for your example of love. And we thank you so much, God, that you have done for us what is unthinkable. You have loved us well. You have loved us in a way we could never earn or deserve. You've won us over. You've chased us down. You've pursued us relentlessly. And God, I just pray that you will help us live this out now. It is so hard. It is the hardest thing in the entire world to love every person we come in contact with like you've loved us. And yet, God, that's exactly what's supposed to define us as Christians. That's the measuring stick for every one of us. Not our knowledge, not our giftedness, not how good we keep the rules, but if we love. And so God, help us love you and help us love those around us. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you take a minute and would you pray about your top thing you need God to be at work on in your life this week? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your trust in Jesus. Because the Savior loved you so much that even when you didn't want him, and though maybe to this point in your life you haven't lived for him and you haven't you know, really thought much about him, or maybe you have thought a lot about him, maybe there's been an anger in your heart toward him, maybe you've shaken your fists at God over and over again about something that happened in your life, and yet here he is saying, no, I still love you, I still love you, I know you've fallen short, I know you don't get it right all the time, but I still love you. And I would love for you to put your trust in Jesus tonight, and you can do that just by having a conversation with God, just praying to him now, something like this, silently between you and him. Jesus, thank you for loving me with a love that makes no sense. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for pouring out your life in my place. 
And I thank you for this amazing gift of salvation that only you can give. So change my life and help me now to live a life of love. In your name, amen.